for those who have been attending our worship service the past few Sundays, you know na naka-ECQ tayo sa Cornerstone Makati. Uh, ECQ tayo for the whole November, meaning we're going through a, a series called Everyday Crucial Questions. So ECQ for short. And this is already our fourth Sunday. So this whole month, uh, we're answering five questions, five important questions that reveal yung mahalaga, uh, what's important, what we value as a church. And uh, what I'm hoping is as we are answering this, you will realize that this is an important value that you uh, I, that I wish that you will have individually and as a family as well. So uh, just a, a quick uh, recap. Yung question number one natin is what shapes your life? And 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 our our answer that uh, doon sa question na yon is is the Bible, right? Yeah, what shapes our life is the Bible. Our second question, second ECQ uh, question is. Who is at the center of your life? At sino yung person uh, that your life revolves around? And our answer to that is Jesus Christ. And he is the only one uh, strong enough, powerful enough, and loving enough to make our lives meaningful when our lives revolve around him. And our question last Sunday is, what does your community look like? Ano ang description natin of a unique Christian community? And that's based on First Peter. And we said that you know uh, this unique community shares three things. And we are like, like stones from different shapes, different sizes, different backgrounds and perspective. But we are coming, all of us, to the living stone, to the cornerstone. And we are being built into a spiritual house. Today, our fourth question is, where are you going? Where are you going? And, and this question, I, I agree, is somewhat vague. Uh, and because you can answer this in, in different ways. You can, you can answer this practically. Pag tinanong ka, where are you going? You can just say, I'm going to work. I'm going, I, I'm going to church. Uh, I'm going to sleep, right? You can answer that. Uh, that question geographically, uh, when someone asks where you're going, you can say, I'm going to Makati, I'm going to BGC, I'm, I'm going to Boracay, mga ganon. So, but you can also answer that question philosophically. You can say, uh, when someone asks where are you going, you can say, I'm going to a place I've never been to do something I've never done. Yan. Kala mo naman, may ibig sabihin talaga yun. <laughs> So there are different ways you can answer that question, but really what this question means is, uh, what's the trajectory of your life? Where is your life headed today? You know, the closest similar question that I can think of would be that infamous question uh, during job interviews. I don't know if you uh, were asked that, uh, some of you who went through uh, some job interviews, uh, you were asked, where do you see yourself five years from now? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's answered uh, in different ways. And kung may HR practitioner uh, right now joining us, uh, you're, you're paying attention to how the person answers. Maybe you can answer just like, well, in five years from now, I'm, I'm still hoping I'm still employed in this company <laughs> that uh, I'm, I'm not yet fired from, from the job. So yeah, that's, that's the... You know, the closest question that I can think of, but um, that's, that's, a, that's a question that's difficult to ask now, especially what we've been experiencing this, uh, this whole year. Obviously, this is a tough year for everyone, and uh, that has discouraged uh, many people to think too far ahead. I don't know if, you, if uh, that's your um, uh, practice, pero... You know, some, some people plan their vacations one year ahead. You know, you, you purchase a piece of fare from Cebu Pacific uh, one year ahead kasi nga sobrang mura. But now, even though uh, ilang beses na nag-promo nag ang mga airlines, uh, you, you don't want to, you know, purchase a ticket because you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, how can you think about five years into the future when, you're, when we're just trying to survive this year? We're... We're, we still have um, like a, a little over a month to, to survive 2020. How can you think about the future? 
you know, I, I understand it is important to be realistic, uh, to be cautious, but it is equally important to be hopeful uh, for the future because it shows our countercultural nature as Christians to think and dream and, and be hopeful uh, for what will happen in five years. So, you know, yung question na yun, uh, what, where do you see yourself five years from now? You, we answer that in the context of our profession, our career, job placement. Sometimes we uh, answer that in the context of our family. You will say, maybe five years from now, for those who are single here, five years from now, maybe um, makikita ko na yung dawan, yung mga ganun. <laughs> Uh, but interestingly, interestingly, there's very little probability that you will answer that question in the context of your Christian life, right? Not many people will say or ask, what does your Christian life look like five years from now? Have you asked that question to yourself or have someone asked you that? What does your Christian life look like five years from now? Where does your trajectory as a Christian, uh, uh, where is your uh, life, Christian life, going in five years? And, and I hope that we will have an answer to that. And to help us determine our trajectory, where we are going, we need to remember and rediscover uh, three things. All right. Three things is, you know, we, we need to remember and, and look back uh, to our point of origin. We need to uh, look and appreciate our turning point, the turning point of our lives. And we also need to assess our destination, right? So point of origin, turning point, and destination. You know, with the exception of Jesus, I think one character uh, in the Bible, uh, specifically in the New Testament, who has this uh, crystal clear uh, understanding where he is going is Apostle Paul. Uh, and, and I figured because, you know, he, he is very clear and he communicates uh, where, what he wants, where he is going, his vision for his life. I figured it's just right uh, that we look into his conversion story when Apostle Paul was still uh, soul of Tarsus. And we see that in, in the passage that was read to you in, in Acts chapter 9. And if you will notice, if you've been going through the book of Acts, you will notice there's uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9, there's a shift in setting and characters in the whole book. Now, uh, the, the, the character in the setting is shifting outside of Jerusalem and now into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the character is becoming less and less uh, you know, the, the first disciples and more and more uh, Apostle Paul and, and other disciples. Um, and I'm hoping that as we look into Apostle Paul's or Saul's uh, origin, turning point and destination, we can have uh, a sufficient answer by the end of the sermon, where are you going? So let's go uh, right ahead with that. So let's talk about uh, ano yung point of origin ni, ni Saul. Uh, what is his point of origin? You know, Saul was introduced in, in the book of Acts as the villain. Hindi siya, hindi siya main character, hindi siya ang hero. Uh, siya si Thanos, <laughs> kumbaga. Hindi siya ang bida, siya ang villain. And he is, he is the worst. Uh, the first mention of Saul in, in the book of Acts is the line, and Saul approved of his murder. And, and that was referring to Stephen when Stephen was stoned uh, to death. So that's, that's him. And that's what we see in, in, our, in our story, in our, in our chapter. Uh, when our story in chapter 9 started, he is already, Saul is already harming Christians. Meron na siyang momentum uh, in persecuting Christians. And his journey is towards Damascus. It, this was just another trip uh, to find, uh, to, to give for the synagogues to give him authority, to arrest, to punish people, and also maybe to bring them to, to death. He's gathering the people called for those who belong to the way. And, and that's how Christians were first called. They were, grouping, were, the, they were the group that's uh, belonging to 
the way. So what you need to keep in mind here as we look at the first few verses of our chapter, yung ginagawa ni Saul, what he is doing to the eyes of the world at that time, and even in his own conscience, he is just doing what is right. He is just doing something that's legitimate. He is not a violent man. Okay, so um, we need to keep that in mind. He is... Uh, Saul is not just out for blood or violence. Hindi siya unruly person. In fact, he is a religious, devout guy. Yung acts niya, yung, yung kanyang mga ginagawa, were just motivated by his religious passion. He was looking uh, for people who are followers of the way because he believes that these people, their way is wrong. And they deserve to be punished. So, habang hinahanap niya ang mga tao na ito by, by looking for and, and, and searching for them, what he is hoping is he is just making things right in the world. He feels and he believes and he is passionate about this that everything is right in the world when he punishes Christians. He Everything is right in the world when he finds them and, and imprisons them. Now, you might find it difficult to, to relate to this story because you are not that kind of a person. Hindi ka, hindi ka ganun. You're not violent. You're not uh, out for blood. But, uh, you know, you might even say, I will never do such a thing. But the truth is, you and I share the same point of origin as Saul. Let me explain. You know, Saul's point of origin is really not violence. It's not religious extremism. Uh, it's not even, um, you know, ginugulo niya yung order of life. That's not it. His point of origin is really self-fulfillment. He wants to fulfill something that will make his world right. What will give him a sense of fulfillment is to prove that he is right, to prove that his religion is true, that he will do whatever it takes to prove that the crazy Christians are wrong. So the extreme measures that he is taking is just, no, they are just evidences of what's really in his heart. In the same way, our actions, whether they are extreme or not, our habits, our purchase decisions, our non-action, our uh, reaction uh, on the news, our fears, what keeps us awake at night, are evidences of our motivation of self-fulfillment. So for Saul, it was that, you know, to make sure that his religious belief is intact so for him if i if i could just get rid of the christians my life will be so much better yun yung statement niya yun yung motivation behind all the things that he's doing if i can just get rid of these crazy christians my life will be so much better things will be good and for us that may not be the same thing but that may be your career or the the desire for success, that may be your health or your physical fitness, that may be family or the relationship that you value the most, that may be money or that sense of security, or even that may mean ministry. Or it's a combination of all these things. So we may not be saying, uh, if I just get rid of these unruly people, my life will be so much better. We have the same statement in the same way like this. If I have blank, so you can fill in the blank, whatever it is in your life. If I have blank, then everything will be right in the world. If I have this job, then my life will be so much better. If my, my body is, is so much better than what I have now, then then everything is right in the world. If I only have this person, this lady, this guy to be my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my life will be so much better. You know, 
it is essential that we reflect our, our point of origin, this, this source of our motivation for self-fulfillment um, before we encountered Jesus because it humbles us. It brings us to a sense of gratitude. It encourages us to carry to carry on, to continue during difficult moments of our lives. And that's what happened to Apostle Paul. He goes back to this moment uh, every time that he encounters difficulties. That's why he said in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, therefore, by, uh, in view of God's mercy, this is the, the moment of God's mercy in his life. In view of God's mercy, we have this ministry. Therefore, I do not lose heart. Therefore, we do not lose heart. If not for God's intervention, our lives will be an endless pursuit of self-fulfillment that will leave us empty. Let me repeat that. Kung hindi nag-intervene si God sa buhay natin, our lives will be an endless pursuit of self-fulfillment that will leave us empty. Uh, I always imagine Saul of Tarsus to be like Javert uh, in, in that novel, in Les Miserables. Jaber, whose duty is to enforce the law, right? And he's passionately um, pursuing this ex-convict uh, named Jean Valjean. Uh, and in the end, uh, he cannot comprehend why Valjean would be so kind, that Valjean would show him kindness to spare his life, to, to save someone's life, to save uh, Maris's life uh, at the expense of him being you know, being caught, he, he cannot comprehend that concept. And the only way to resolve that is to kill himself. You know, I think uh, Saul would end the same way if, if God did not turn his life around. Um, he would not understand why Christians would still rejoice in suffering. He will not understand why, uh, you know, why Christians would show kindness to enemies. Why in the midst of persecution, Christians will still celebrate and find joy in, in, in the hope that we have. He, he will not understand that and, and that will mess up his mind and his life. And, and, and by God's mercy, God turned his life around. And speaking of showing kindness to enemies, that's what we see happening in Saul's turning point. This is his turning point. What does Saul's... Uh, uh, turning point look like and what does this mean to us it's actually very cinematic and some people you know feel bad that their conversion story is not you know it's not as magnificent as uh, Saul's uh, but let me encourage you uh, you again you shared something similar with his conversion story so you will see in in the succeeding verses verse 3 onwards so see si Saul he was on his way to Damascus and on that road to Damascus with some com companions, he encountered Jesus. He encountered Jesus. Jesus stopped his journey on that road. Jesus stopped uh, him from persecuting Christians. And according to Jesus, persecuting Christians is persecuting him. So he equates you know, persecuting his people to persecuting him. So... Look at this, this story again, and you see that here is a man who has everything figured out. He, he is a, I, I'm, I'm assuming he's an intelligent guy. He's a passionate guy. He has everything figured out. He was confident with what matters to him. And yet upon meeting Jesus, he was blinded and he needed help from others. You know, friends, this is what... I want for us to understand here. Meeting Jesus, when we meet Jesus, it will reveal who we really are, where we really stand, that we are blind, that we are helpless, that we need the help of others to show us the way. That's the experience of Saul when he met Jesus. And that's also our experience when we encounter Jesus. First and foremost, we realize how blind we are, how helpless we are, how we need the grace of the Lord, how we need the help of others. You know, that's, 
the message of the song Amazing Grace. Diba? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Uh, I was once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And that's what happened with, with, with Saul. He needed the help of his con- companions. But more than that, he needed the help of someone, so ironic, he needed the help of someone who belongs to the group that he is persecuting, right? There's so much irony uh, in this story. Uh, in verses 10 onwards, you see that, you know, uh, Saul was looking for people who belong to the way, but he cannot see the way. He stayed uh, in the street called Straight. Uh, interestingly, yung pangalan ng street is Straight, but his life, he didn't know, was crooked. He was searching for Christians. Hinahanap niya itong mga tao na ito to bring them harm, to imprison them, to persecute them. But here we see a Christian named Ananias was looking for him, uh, following Jesus at the, you know, at the concern of his own life. And this Christian helped him, helped Saul to restore his sight. So Saul regained his sight with the help of Ananias. Not only did he see physically, he can now see spiritually. His spiritual eyes were opened. You know, it, it feels like uh, there's a parallel. There's a, you know, we, we can compare that to like a resurrection experience. Ito yung resurrection experience ni, ni Saul. He was uh, three days without sight. He was three days in the dark, cannot see anything without food or drink. And after three days, someone uh, prayed for him and he regained his sight and he was baptized and he was strengthened. It's like his uh, own uh, resurrection experience. Pero pastor... Maybe for some of you who are, you know, excited about evangelism and gospel proclamation, you might ask, how was Paul converted when no one explained the gospel to him? Uh, for those of you who uh, have heard me uh, share uh, in, in a talk about uh, evangelism, and I also shared in uh, uh, the gospel immersion, uh, two principles about uh, evangelism is that one, it is God who calls people into faith. Right? It's not our eloquence. It's not, uh, no, it's, we, we are not convincing people with the way we present the gospel. It's really God who calls people into faith. But two, even though it's God who calls people into faith, the gospel must always be proclaimed for people to, to experience conversion. Uh, the gospel must always be proclaimed, heard, explained, and experienced for people to uh, become Christians. So with that light, in, in that principle, Paano naging Christian si Saul? Uh, but nothing in the story indicates that the gospel was proclaimed to him. Diba? If you look into the story again, Jesus said very few things to, to Saul. Sinabi niya lang, why are you persecuting me? Go to the city. Yun lang sinabi ni Jesus. And, and Ananias did not, uh, did not share the gospel. Uh, he just prayed for him. How can Saul be a Christian when uh, no one shared to him the four spiritual laws, the bridge diagram? No one shared to him John 3.16. How can he be a Christian without that? Let me uh, share with you some proofs, some uh, evidences why I believe there's a legitimate gospel proclamation that happened. One, Saul has been hearing the gospel all his life. He has been hearing and he knows the gospel all his life. You know how? He knows the Old Testament. He is well-versed. He is trained in the Tanakh, in the Torah, in the Nebiim, in the, in the Ketubim, the Old Testament Bible. And there's, the gospel story is embedded in that. But he, he cannot see that until... His spiritual eyes were opened right at this moment, and he sees that the Old Testament points to Jesus. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 5, that all scriptures testify about him. So he has been hearing the gospel, 
um, all his life. He has been hearing it in the Old Testament all his life. He just don't have, just doesn't have the the ears, the the right eyes to see the gospel in the Old Testament. So that's one proof. Second, he has been hearing the gospel actually from the people that he is persecuting. He has been hearing the gospel proclaimed from the people that he is actually persecuting. And that's the reason why he is persecuting them because he finds the message of the gospel so offensive. He, he sees the, the message of the gospel as ridiculous, uh, weak, and crazy, and offensive. You know, my friends, I need you to listen to this and, and listen very well. The message of the gospel is really offensive in the view of our rebellious heart. It's really offensive until God gives us a new heart that welcomes this gospel, the same gospel that offends us, and we see it as a comfort to our soul. Let me repeat that. The message of the gospel is offensive to our rebellious hearts until God gives us a new heart that receives the gospel as a comfort, as a balm to the soul. So Saul has been hearing the gospel in the Old Testament. Saul has been hearing the gospel uh, from the people that he's persecuting. And everything that he learned from the Old Testament, the things that he heard from the followers of Jesus, it all comes together to this moment when he encountered Jesus. That his eyes were open. They were truly open. When, when he learned and experienced in this moment what he knows about the Old Testament, what he hears from the people that he's persecuting is this, that Jesus is more real to him than anything else in his life. That Jesus is more valuable, that the claims of the Old Testament and the gospel and, and the people who believe Jesus, the claims of Jesus himself, is true, is important, is essential, the most valuable thing in his life. When he sees and experiences Jesus being more real to him than anything else in his life, that is his moment of conversion. That is his moment of conversion. And so what does this mean to you and me? Well, you know, if you are a Christian, um, if I ask you how you became a Christian, there might be some different conversion stories that, uh, that we will share. Uh, some of you may have responded to an altar call. Uh, you heard a, a preacher preach the gospel. You raise your hand when he asks a question. You walked in front or you stood and you prayed the sinner's prayer. Or maybe you, know, you were at home. Uh, you you watch a video from 700 Club and, and someone uh, invited you to pray and, and you prayed that um, and you became a Christian. Or maybe you were you just discovered in your own uh, journey, you read the Bible and you discovered the good news of Jesus. And, and actually some people can even recall the exact moment of uh, that time that they became Christians. And that's all, that's all fine. But let's, let's put a, a definitive answer to that. What is our moment of conversion? Here's my answer. You know, the moment, your moment of conversion, my moment of conversion, is when your heart and your mind agrees that Jesus is more real to you than anything else in the world. That Jesus is more valuable to you than anything else in your life. Here's more. When we see Jesus as more real, uh, more than anything in, in our life, we need to realize that it's not a one-time thing. That experience is not a one-time thing. Our Christian walk is really a constant discovering and rediscovering that Jesus is really Lord and Savior. It's not just a one-time experience. It is a constant experience that Jesus is really Lord and Savior and his scope in your life, you discover, is bigger 
and bigger. We see the cross, what he has done for us, bigger and bigger. We see the holiness of God in greater detail and clarity. We see our sinfulness deeper and deeper, and we see our need for his grace more and more. That's our Christian walk. We are seeing uh, a clearer, uh, a renewed vision of who Jesus is. So my friends, can you recall a moment in your life where your affections, what you value, is turned towards Jesus, that you find him more valuable, more appealing, more real than the things that you find important in your life. And because of that, you, you entrusted your life over to him. You know, if you're trying to recall that moment and, and you feel like, Pastor, yung, yung moment na yon feels like such a long time ago. Then my friend, you need a fresh vision of who Jesus is. And I hope that our weekly gathering is, is helping you see uh, Jesus better. This our, our, our gathering, when, when the gospel is preached, it, it gives you a, a fresh uh, encounter with Jesus. But if you're trying to recall a moment in your life where Jesus is more real to you than anything else in the world, and you can't find any, uh, maybe you've been going to church. Maybe you've been praying all your life. You even went through Sunday school or you know about Jesus, but there's no actual uh, moment that you say, Jesus is really uh, real and true and, and valuable over my life. If you cannot find a moment like that, then uh, sadly, maybe there's really no conversion uh, moment in your life. There really never was a conversion. You may be going through the motion, but there's really no spiritual uh, illumination. Uh, your spiritual eyes were never opened. But let me encourage you, and this is the good news, today can be that moment where you see that Jesus is really Lord and Savior of your life, that you are more sinful than you could ever imagine, and more love, more deeply loved than you can ever fathom. And that's the good news for you, brothers and sisters. That moment of conversion can be that moment today. And we experience all of that, all Christians. It may not sound and look like uh, what ex uh, Saul experienced on the road to Damascus with a blinding light, literally. Uh, but there's a moment in your life. There, there ought to be a moment in a Christian's life where we see that Jesus is important, that Jesus is real, and that he ought to be the center of your life. And that's an ongoing thing as well. We don't graduate from that. But how did this turning point in the life of Saul change his destination? Paano nag-iba yung kanyang destination? So now we're on the third uh, part of our story. So from the origin to the turning point to now to the destination. Well, uh, to answer this question, as you can see in the text, it actually did not change. The destination did not change. You see that in, in the last part of, of our passage, in the in, uh, uh, second part of verse 19 uh, up to 22, here are three things that, that Saul did after his turning point, after his conversion moment. Three things. One, he spent time with the disciples in Damascus. Two, he went into the synagogue. That's, that's his, that's his uh, plan in the first place, to go to the synagogues in Damascus. He went, uh, still went in the synagogues in Damascus to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. Three, he had this apologetic conver uh, conversations. He had... Uh, apologetic debates uh, with the Jews who live in Damascus to prove that Jesus is really the Christ. So look at that. He stayed, uh, he had time, he spent time with, uh, with disciples in Damascus. He preached uh, that Jesus is the Son of God in the synagogues in Damascus. He debated, he had apologetic conversations. 
with the Jews in Damascus. What do you see uh, common in all those experiences? He is still in Damascus. He stayed in Damascus. The destination did not change. He, uh, you know, Jesus did not say, now that you're a Christian, now that I, you experience me, uh, stop from where you're going and, and go back to Jerusalem and serve me there. That's not what happened. The destination, again, did not change, at least not immediately, but his heart. His heart has changed. His motivation has changed. And God used him immediately in the very place that he was in. Even though the place that he was in, uh, he intended to do harm. So, Pastor, are you saying that, like Saul, we should be proclaiming uh, the gospel wherever we are at the moment of our conversion? Is that what you're saying? That uh, wherever we are, um, dun sa aming moment that we encounter Jesus, we ought to be uh, like uh, Saul, to be proclaiming uh, and, and uh, debating with the Jews about the, the, you know, the proof that Jesus is the Christ? Well, actually, yes. Yes, if you are trained in Old Testament, if you all your life you have been trained uh, with the scriptures and you have the same gifting and, and passion as Saul, by all means, do that. But keep in mind, Saul was able to do that because, again, he is naturally gifted speaker, that he is specifically trained to do such a thing. Saul was able to do that because God has been molding his life be even before he was born. So God was molding Saul's life when he was a child uh, by training him in the Old Testament. Before he became a Christian, God was already involved in his life. And he has been equipping and molding Saul's life from this very moment, this uh, moment that he first Proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. What does that mean to you and me? You know, when God saved you and me, when God converted you and turned your life around, He did not make your past irrelevant. He does not revise your future now because you're a Christian. What He does is more amazing, much more amazing. What God is doing, and you may not, we may not be even aware that this has been happening all your life, that he has been using everything in your life to fulfill a very specific mission that he has for you. He, is, he has been using your experiences when you were a child, when you were growing up, even today, your family history, your education, your successes and failures, your heartaches, your joys, your situation in your life, he has been molding that specifically to mold you, to shape you, uh, uh, to, to equip you in the mission that he has for you. So my friends, that means all those things, all your experiences, all your history, all your background, your career achievements, your education, they all have a place in the mission of God in your life. They all have a place in the mission of God in your life today. Let me just quickly share a, a story that maybe some of you already know. Um, I, I was in my early 20s when I left home, uh, actually very abruptly. Uh, I, that was very irresponsible uh, of me. Uh, and, and I moved to Makati uh, with uh, two of my college friends. And I moved because I want to prove to myself and, and to others that I can make it in Makati. That's, uh, by the way, the tagline of Makati. I moved because uh, I feel like I was competent enough, that I have the skills to be successful. You know, uh, for those who have known me uh, for a while now, I have the tendency to overestimate my capacity. Uh, I did that. Uh, I was so overconfident. Uh, I, I was so uh, enthusiastic to, 
to conquer Makati, to be in the corporate world. But, you know, my time uh, in, in Makati, in, in my 20s, uh, was the moment I was most broken. I was broke, <laughs> but I was also broken uh, w- during my time in, in, in the city. But, you know, that's, that was also uh, the season in my life where I experienced really God's redemption, God's grace. And that's where I had another, a, a fresh vision of who Jesus is. I grew up in a Christian home. My, my, uh, my father shared the gospel to me. I was baptized uh, um, as a young uh, child. But, you know, I encountered Jesus anew when I was most broken. And that was in Makati. I, I moved to Makati to pursue self-fulfillment, to prove to myself uh, that I can make it. But my renewed vision of Christ while I was there showed me that the ultimate fulfillment is found in, in Jesus Christ, in Him alone. And now more than, uh, actually almost 20 years later, uh, here we are, here I am uh, going back to, to Makati, uh, planting a church this time. It's the same destination, same place, but different motivation. Pastor, are, are you telling us to, to be like you, uh, to, to move and, and to go back to the place where God uh, turned our lives around? Uh, yes and no, actually. Yes, yes. if God is calling you to do that, no, uh, because you don't have to uh, emulate my life. Uh, really, there's, you can do so much better. <laughs> Than, than, than copy my experience. But here's, here's what I want for us to understand. It's a mistake to think that the only way to serve God is to stand in the bus and do evangelism or leave your job to serve as a missionary uh, to a foreign land or quit your job and go to a seminary uh, a few years and, and serve uh, full-time uh, in the ministry or spend a lot of time in church activities and forget your home or uh, take care of other people than your family. It's a mistake when you say that I'm serving God better when I do those things. You know, of course, uh, of course, don't, don't uh, misunderstand me. There really are people who are called to be pastors, missionaries. They are called to be preachers, church planters, church workers, church leaders. There are people who are specifically called for that, and I'm I'm thankful to the Lord uh, for them. But God is calling all types of people to himself, and God will use all types of people for his kingdom, not just elders, pastors, church planters, missionaries. He will use all types of people from all walks of life to advance and accomplish his purpose. Here's my point to all of this. You know, we need to understand that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are created for a mission. You are a missionary. Yes, there are cross-cultural missionaries. There are urban missionaries. There are also campus missionaries, but we are all called for a mission. Your mission will be, it will look very different with mine, and it will be in a different timeline. It will uh, be uh, expressed and uh, implemented differently, and that's a good thing. Hindi natin kailangan, hindi natin kailangan makita na pare-pareho yung mission natin. But even though our mission, our specific mission, uh, will be different from each other. The purpose of our mission is one and the same. Whether whether you're a, a corporate worker, a, a pastor, a student, wherever you are, our purpose is one and the same. If you are a follower of Jesus, and that is to carry the name of the Lord wherever you go. To carry the name of the Lord wherever you go. Here's my desire uh, and my prayer uh, as I answer this question for the church. You know, I, I'm hoping and I'm praying that Cornerstone Makati will be a missional church. That Cornerstone Makati uh, will be a missional church. 
I know that could mean different things to different people, but here's what I mean by that. Collectively, uh, I, I want for this church to consider planting churches uh, immediately on the fifth year of, of our life together. That's, that's too soon, I know. That's, that's really soon. I'm not saying that we already have a, a church planted by five years. I'm just saying that uh, as we approach uh, our fifth year as a church, we have been thinking and praying and desiring to, you know, to bring the gospel elsewhere. Okay? Hindi tayo maghihintay to, to have a big 5,000-seater capacity or own a property or have an NGO with our name or a school before we think about planting a church because we are called to proclaim the gospel wherever we go. And we will, we will plant a church. We will bring the gospel where, where the people are. You know, we are. Right now, we are called to, uh, to proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone in a specific location. But I'm hoping that you know, in, the, in the next five years, I will be, uh, we will be uh, journeying with people who have the desire to bring the gospel elsewhere, in, 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 in Cagayan, in, 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 uh, in Iloilo, in, in Ilocos, maybe in you know, different parts of the world. That's, that's my uh, desire for us collectively. But what I mean uh, for us to be a missional church individually, here's what I mean. That each one of us, uh, like I said, uh, is called for a mission and our Christian faith takes precedence. It, it, it's our first identity more than our career, more than our, uh, our, our profession, our, our position in life. So that means, my friends, you are not a teacher who happens to be a Christian. You're a Christian first, called by God to teach young minds. You are not an engineer who happens to be a Christian. You are a Christian first, called by God to be an engineer to make our world a better place in, uh, through infrastructure. You are not a YouTuber who happens to be a Christian. You are a Christian first called by God to use your platform because people are listening to you. You are not just a, a stay-at-home mom who happens to be a Christian. You are a Christian called by God to disciple your children. So wherever you are, where God has placed you, I hope that you will look at that moment, that place, that situation, that career, that job, as God telling you that this is the specific place in the season of your life right now to be your mission field. This is where I'm placing you and I have been equipping you all your life. So let me uh, conclude this by as asking that question once again. Where do you see your Christian life going after five years? How do you see your life growing uh, as a Christian? How is God glorified in your life in the next five years? If you look back at your past, how has God been molding your life to equip you for the mission that he has for you specifically? the heartaches that you have experienced, the opportunities that were presented to you, how are those connected for God to weave a story in your life, to bring you into his grand story of making his name known in the world? You know, the beauty of being part of a unique community, which uh, was our message last week, that we don't have to figure that out on our own that we can journey together. And, and, and let me uh, present this uh, um, uh, uh, invitation to all of you. If you're trying to figure that out, that answer, uh, where, what does my uh, Christian life look like in five years and you're trying to fill in the blanks and you're finding it difficult, let me help you. Let's journey together to, to maybe answer that question, to, to cl clarify some uh, experiences, 
and and let's let's see how God will fulfill that uh, in your life. So, again, my friends, where are you going today? Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you because you have because you are sovereign and you have a great plan for each and every one of us and you already uh, have prepared a way for us to glorify your name and we acknowledge that this has not been happening in our lives because we are so accustomed to go our own separate ways that we are like sheep that uh that goes astray, that we go our own way that we feel is right in our own eyes. Father, forgive us when we think that we can find a sense of fulfillment outside of you. We need your grace once again to, to show us that we find our purpose, our, our, our satisfaction, our fulfillment in Jesus alone. Lord, we, we thank you that you have been molding our lives, uh, even our past, and that you have turned our lives around and that you are using us uh, wherever you have placed us even today. Lord, I'm praying for my brothers and sisters today. Um, that you will show them that this season in their lives uh, is your way to show them that this is the exact mission that you have placed them. Lord, Lord we ask that you will clarify and, and give clarity uh, to their destination, to where you are leading them. Grant them joy, Lord God, that uh, a Christian calling uh, is not to to uh, to accomplish uh, self fulfillment, but to live our lives uh, for others. And 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 I'm praying for those who are in the corporate world that they will be a blessing, Lord God, uh, that they will be salt and light into their office mates. I'm praying for the teachers, and and for for the moms and for the dads here that they will be. Uh, a source of, of the gospel to the people who do, whom they have influence over. Uh, I'm praying, Lord, for, uh, for the students and for the missionaries and for pastors, uh, Lord God, that you will continue to, to comfort them, encourage them, Lord God, uh, for the mission that you have placed in their lives. Lord, uh, the success of the mission that you have placed over our, uh, our life, uh, it's not dependent on our goodness on or on our capacity uh, on our own uh, you know uh, competencies it's really uh, dependent on your grace and so that's what we long for Lord God that you will continue to equip us empower us for the mission that you have placed uh, for all of us and as we journey together I'm praying Lord that you will help uh, us, uh, carry each other's burden and clarify and, and uh, pursue the same purpose of different mission that we have, and that is to carry your name wherever we go. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.